Hello ladies and gentlemen and welcome to Stand Up Tragedy Spotlight 13. My name's Dave and I'm your host. So today's episode is unlucky for some. Not for me because I don't really believe in superstition like that. But uh, in case anybody else does and I'm not accusing any of my acts of it. I thought I'd put myself on today. So this is a story that I told at Stand Up Tragedy back in 2012. It's a true story, kind of true story. You'll see what I mean when you hear it. I hope you enjoy that. As I said last week, these spotlights are going weekly in the run-up to Stand Up Tragedy at the Hackney Attic. Yes, we're back. It's 2013. It's the first of our London shows. We're going to have returning acts like Ben Target or Tajay, however you want to pronounce it. Brilliant comedian, regardless of how you pronounce his name. We've got Lou Sanders, who's also a comedian. We've got Timandra Harkness, who you can hear in last week's episode. She's doing comedy. But we've got music from Sound of the Ladies and Sergeant Buzzfuzz. We've got true storytelling from the anonymous Guardian columnist, Kit Lovelace, so if you want to see what he actually looks like, come along down on the 18th to the Hackney Attic. And we've got fiction from the fantastic Emily Cleaver, performed by Richard Coworld. And we've got James McKay coming back to Stand Up Tragedy. This time, he's not going to be doing the Book of Job, he's going to be doing the Book of Ezekiel, and it's going to be brilliant, brilliant spoken word stuff. So we're going to have dark, we're going to have funny, we're going to have fun, we're going to have sadness it's all going to be there we're going to tie it up in a big bow at the end with a sing-along from you the audience and us the performers as said last week we're still looking for people to join the stand-up tragedy team go over to www.standuptragedy.co.uk to find out more about that and email me at upstandingtragedy at gmail.com if you want to get involved that's enough of me wittering on. Here's me wittering on. Hope you enjoy it. I usually have a true storyteller to tell you some tragic events from their real lives. And uh, tonight, that storyteller's going to be me. Well, it's not from my... <laughs> mind you, it's not from my real life, so... Well, it is my... Well, you'll see. <laughs> it is from my real life. <laughs> So this is called Say It With Flowers. The understanding that I have of my grandparents' lives is fake. It comes to me in Chinese whispers from biased observers. It sloshes around in my imagination until it seems to make some narrative sense. My gran grew up in a small village in Yorkshire. She would uh, milk the family cow every day before she walked 10 miles to school on her own. Everything was in black and white back then. Everything was bought to last. Life was frugal and you grew into your shoes. My granddad grew up in India, a child of the Raj. His family rode on the backs of elephants. They shouted demeaning things at the natives and then laughed heartily, twirling their waxed moustaches. <laughs> now, that's the plastic flower version of the story. Brightly coloured, unreal vaguely comical. A plastic flower looks like a real flower from a distance. But what do I actually know about them? Graham was born into a working class Yorkshire family. 
And she'd hate it if she knew that I told you that, so shh. <laughs> she married a man from a different class and she rewrote herself into the role of a respectable lady. And Grandad, he was born into a posh white family in India. And he was sent to England as a child when he contracted tuberculosis. For most of his life, he was a doctor, and he was a conscientious objector in both wars. When they met, there were fireworks, or maybe air raid sirens. <laughs> the Second World War was happening all around them. She was a nurse, and he was a doctor. She was thrilled to meet a man descended from the aristocracy, a professional in a white coat, no less. He spoke properly. She liked that. Sure, he was a socialist, but that's politics. That's men's talk. She had no interest in any of that nonsense. She should have taken an interest in that nonsense, though. Later, she would have to shoo hippies out of her dining room and into the less civilised areas of the house when her husband invited them round for those dratted CND meetings. You can say what you like about bombs or banning them, but she didn't want boys with scruffy hair and dirty feet in the house. That nonsense was the fatal flaw in her plan. She would never find true class because Grandad refused to become a private consultant. He remained committed to the National Health Service and she felt that that commitment held them back. I now see Gran as someone stumbling through life in her own way. Same as me, same as my mum, same as everyone I know. I'm not saying she's a nice person. Every old and frail person has probably hurt people in their lives. But I see her as someone who's had a life, and that has to be respected. I never had that with Grandad. He used to play chess with us. He always won. He didn't really speak. He looked wooden, like his chess set, worn and tall and thin. I always saw him as an ent, wise, not too hasty. When he died, I was given this wooden elephant. It came from the Raj. I love this elephant. Its tusks are wonky. The chairs in their house were uncomfortable. Everything looked like the Queen might have bought it. There were all sorts of rules about which bit of cutlery you used first. All the adults were tense for reasons that you couldn't understand. Children were to be tolerated and silent. On the tables were bowls of things that looked like Bombay mix, but turned out to be something called potpourri. The taste of dried flowers in my mouth and a stifling silence all around me. Everything smelling unnatural. That's how I remember it. This strict woman terrorised my mother, passing the terrors down the line, the terrors that my mum passed to me. I'd heard the stories and I could see it in her eyes. Gran was a pantomime villain. And she isn't anymore. Now she's an old lady living in an old house full of old people in the countryside just outside Bath. She has her tea and cake every day at 3pm. She regularly lunches with a lady. They wear Easter bonnets at Easter. They get their children to tend their gardens and they have staff to look after them. In a way, she's finally made it to where she wanted to be. But she gets angry with the deer and the rabbits. They eat her flowers. They don't know that humans find them decorative, they just know they're tasty. At her 80th birthday, my gran had a few drinks. 
She, someone gave her the knife to cut the cake, and with a mischievous gleam in her eye, she suggested that she might as well end it all now. The assembled family, holding their cameras and their toddlers in their hands, stared in horror as she swung the knife back and forth in front of her chest. My mum and I once sat with her, drinking sherry from dusty glasses. She told us about her life during the wartime. She'd been a nurse in blitz-addled London. And when she talked of it, she seemed younger. I suddenly saw the girl from a small village who'd gone to a city being bombed and found excitement, freedom, and something that sounded like independence. I was shocked to hear such feeling in her voice, surprised that she was nostalgic for a time of war. It remained bright and light in her memory. It struck me then that I might have liked that woman that she'd been for those few months before she'd met my granddad before she put the mask on. When she moved into the house, the home, she finally became a completely real person to me. I'd love to get into all of this with her, adult to adult, hear the whole story from her mouth and find out what she really thinks about class, about freedom, about being a mother, about being a nurse in the wartime, about marrying granddad. I want to hear this story without the embellishments, but I don't know how to ask. So instead, when I'm around, which is rarely, I go to visit her with my mum. The last time we went, my mum stopped at a shop on the way and suggested I buy her flowers. Gran loves flowers. She has them all around her room beside carefully placed bric-a-brac. She arranges everything just so, and she still models herself on the Queen. I went to her old house in Limpley Stoke with my mum to stick post-it notes on things I might want. I didn't want much, but I wanted something. The bits of property that I salvaged from that house are ways to try and understand the lives of the people whose genes are inside me. Understanding who they are might help me understand who I am. I stuck day-glow bits of paper on a few strange-looking bits of furniture and the old school bell... That's, uh, that was to distract everybody while I found my place, but it didn't work. The old school bell that my gran had used to call my mum and her sister down for dinner when they were children. In some ways, this bell was an instrument of torture, which I think we can all understand why, why it was after that. I think my ear's going to be ringing for a little while. It felt nice to be useful to my mum, the sort of thing that proper sons do. Visiting Gran in the old people's home is the same sort of thing, a taste of being a good grandson. The last time we visited, she took us out to her gardens, and as we stood looking down at the flower beds, Mum mentioned how she put sticks down to try and stop the animals. Gran sighed. Those creatures are determined. They think the flowers are veggie tubbles. She's always had a fake voice. She puts all the stresses in all the wrong places. Don't tell anyone, will you, dear? But I use fake ones. On top of her ruined flowers, Gran puts plastic flower heads. I smile at her. Don't worry, Gran. I won't tell anyone. (laughs) Thanks very much. There we go. It was also a good way of not getting rung off uh, when I went over time.